Welcome to Disruption Now. I'm your host and moderator, Rob Richardson. I'm James Keyes. We are honored to have Don Dixon on the show, a black woman that's breaking barriers in tech. Uh, she's been a serial entrepreneur and really an entrepreneur for uh, most of her career. She started off in 2002 with a, with a business called Flat Out of Heels to help women. When you know when you're in the club and you're having a good time and you're just tired of those heels, well, she actually uh, created Flat Out of Heels. You can just get out of your heels and just go into flats right then. She took that idea and is now into tech. And she has a new business called Popcom. And instead of going to VCs to, to get the money, uh, she started this smart retailing company, which is a retailing company that can target you and say uh, what you might be interested in using facial technology. I know it sounds a little scary, but she's going to talk more about it. <laughs> but uh, she, she came up with that concept, but didn't want to go to VC so they can take her business. Instead, she went online and did money through cryptocurrency and crowdfunding. So she went online through through friends, through associates, through people all across the country and didn't have to give her business away. We're going to talk about what that might mean for, our, for future opportunities for people that may not have access to VCs or may not have access to uh, capital in the traditional means and, and talk about the new opportunities and the possible setbacks and things you have to watch out for that. So I'm excited to have her on and I hope you really enjoy the interview. Hi. So Don Dixon, how are you? Very good. Very good. Excellent. You know, so you are from Ohio like me, so. Oh, okay. Can, yeah, okay. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Okay, I'm from Columbus. Yeah, yeah, I saw that Ohio State, I'm University of Cincinnati, so. Okay, I'm still gonna rep, I'm still rep for UC first, but no I, I'm, no I'm okay with those state. Yeah, no beef. Yeah. Saw the Buckeye State. Yeah, it's it is. Saw the Buckeye State. I'm from yeah. Cincinnati as well, so. Okay, nice. Original Buckeye or people originating from Ohio, that's cool. Yeah, all Ohio love. <laughs> so you know you uh, i like to talk about so you're, you're a serial entrepreneur uh, entrepreneur you, you, you've said that before in, in a few interviews and uh, i want to just talk to you about your journey like what was your moment when you knew you were going to be an entrepreneur uh, what was the if there was an aha moment you could talk about it no it wasn't really an aha moment i mean it's i I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult career life since I was 21. So, um, what was your first experience then as an entrepreneur? Let's do that. Um, started my company, the urban star. It was a, a tech company, 2001, very early days of technology. It was a, uh, online media marketing and events platform in Columbus. And it did really well, made, made our money from, um, you know, email blasts, event listings, uh, membership events. So in the very early, early days of email marketing, before there was even a platform that existed, we were selling, you know, email, email marketing. So. Oh, that was, you, you were ahead of the game because yeah, yeah, 2001 was the beginning of that. Yep. So market maker. Sending it, sending it to a bunch of AOL.com addresses, I, I, I guess back then, right? We were sending our newsletter BCC and AOL until Topica came out. There was no such thing as an email management plan at this time. Wow. Oh, wow. You, wow. It took us, you know, it took me like five hours every Friday to send out, you know, it was at this point about 7,000 emails, um, email addresses that we had for local people that we collected by hand. So, wow. you know, the good old, good old grassroots phase. Yeah. <laughs> before you can buy, buy list online. Yeah, and before algorithms and before social media and before apps, just, you know, really very organic, natural engagement which, you know, translates today to my career, just me having that ability to build organic audiences. Right. Um, you know, and it, it's helpful. So what's the key to the building organic audiences? Like, how do you, if you're, you're giving advice to entrepreneurs and they want to build an organic audience? It's always the human touch. It's always the personal touch. You know, back then I was actually getting email addresses by hand, going to events with a clipboard. You know, we don't have to do that anymore, but people still today value um, human contact, I believe now more than ever when it's so easy to just get on social media or get on LinkedIn or get on email. People are value just you making contact with them individually, personally. And even now they have so many bots and things that make contact seem personable and they do a good job a lot of times, you know, but it's still nothing like a, like a very custom message. So I spend a lot of time managing my relationships and, you know, always providing like a personal touch. There was a book that I read and 
by Terry Williams in like 2005 called a personal touch. And, um, those kind of things just never get old. So Mm. that's, that's still the key to it today. Even now, you know, with Popcom and us raising the money that we raised and me going around the country, just talking to people directly. And that's how I was able to do it. Let's talk about Popcom. And, um, so tell, tell people what it is, but before you get there, I, I want to talk about how you raise this money. Cause I, I think it's fascinating from my understanding. Uh, there haven't been a lot of black women that have raised the amount of money you have. I, I think the number is, unfor- I don't think it's over 20. Um, it's over 20, you know, I've raised at this point, 2.5 million. It's over. It's like about, you know, it could even, it could even be around 40 or 50 at this point, but still yeah, it's, not a lot, it's not a lot of people. When you compare that with the number of our, you know, peers of other races, it's still a very small number. So you write $2.5 million and you did that uh, without going the traditional route. I want to have a conversation about that because, you know, one of the biggest barriers, you you know, this to uh, any business, particularly people, uh, businesses of color is access to capital. Yeah. Uh, And um, you went, you, you didn't go through VCs. You went, some of my money is from VC. Oh, it is. It is. It is. Okay. I have a hybrid type of business. I have money from everywhere, actually. Okay. Okay. Because I saw I saw one article that said that you went around that through crowdfunding and cryptocurrency. Yeah. For my second round. For your for second round. round. Okay. Kind of third round. Kind of third round. Um, okay. I decided not to raise any more. But yeah, you're right on though. You know, it's just I raised my first million from accredited angels and VCs, and then the next money that I raised, I raised from the from the public in a, in a crowdfunding campaign? Well, a couple of things I'd like to explore. Was it hard to get folks to take you seriously? I mean, uh, if you're, because, you know, you're a black woman and people make assumptions that they shouldn't, uh, did you have any challenges because of that? And how did you overcome that? Uh, you know, kind of navigating that space, knowing there's very few, there's very few, unfortunately, African-Americans in, in, in the tech space, there needs to be more, uh, but there's not a lot. So, Overcoming yeah, that definitely a lot more than people think. Um, you know, there's just like a handful of us that are the popular ones, I think, at this point. <laughs> yep. But um, there's a lot working in tech, if not to the capacity of a founder, certainly in IT careers, you know, in the I agree. Role. Mm. So there are a lot of us just in technology in general. So I definitely don't want that to be the narrative that we're not. It's just um, the visibility wise, it's just not there. And yeah, I mean, yeah, not not a ton of black founders that are. That's what I meant. The level of yeah, the level of visibility and success that I have in many of my peers. Um, but you know, nobody's gonna ever look you in the face and say the reason why we're not investing in you is because you're black. I mean, that's not gonna happen. So but they'll definitely find other reasons or other um, kind of like um, criteria that they expect you to be able to meet that's not realistic or that the same expectation is not present for maybe a white male or a white female, even though white females have a very challenging time as well. It's just really a male, white male uh, dominated and driven industry. When you talk about private equity and venture capital, because those are the founding people of of that whole institution. So, you know, and so people generally, um, including all of us right now, you tend to gravitate towards people that are familiar to you, your network, or that you know somebody that knows them. So naturally, if you're talking about a group of people that are in a small neighborhood, Silicon Valley, Palo Alto, you know, San Francisco, this is one city, and they have this old Stanford, and they have the same network. I don't ever think it was an intentional thing like, hey guys, let's not give black people money. It's like, there's none around. No, they're, they're not in our immediate network and who's going to vouch for them. I feel the same way. Like, I'm like, I want somebody to vouch for you. So I don't take any of it personal. I don't take, I don't, I don't, I never take it as it's about me, Don Dixon. It's more about like, Hey, they're not familiar with me. They, they don't have experience or exposure to a successful black women. They don't have a network of successful black people to even compare me to. So the, the job of us is just to, you know, be the change we want to see and show and demonstrate um, that they, that they exist. There was an article back in, in TechCrunch. I think it was like in 2000 and it was between 2007 or 2011 in that range. Cause I know I already started my company flat out of heels and they said there are no black founders. I mean, and they genuinely thought that that was true because they didn't see any, because we weren't at the events they were at and we were not, 
you know, in the accelerator program. So as you see now, the visibility, when we heard as a community that the reason why we don't get invested in is because that we're not here, we start popping out of the woodwork. <laughs> right. Like, oh, which, oh, which, by the way, is the excuse for everything and why every position is not filled. We can't find, and they use that excuse for fields they have no, that they have no business doing. I just think it's easy to do. I think that it's also accurate. You know, as a person that hires people, um, yeah. I intentionally went out looking for diverse candidates and they weren't easy to find. Oh, so they're not. No, I, no, no, no. But they're there. Like you said, you're there. I think that it, we didn't, we didn't need to do better at putting ourselves in the rooms and putting our, and positioning ourselves on whatever platforms that, you know, job seekers use or going to go put being in, being in the building, you know, so you can't expect anybody to go out looking for you. So the new diversity thing is like, go out and look for people. Well, you never have to look for me. Yeah. 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 People be like, I'm tired of seeing her ass. You know, yeah. Yeah. she's still here. Yeah. I think yeah. we all need to have that same mentality. Is like, hey, I'm gonna show up. You know, the the thing that I feel like technology has done is bring us closer as far as access, but farther apart because you feel like you don't gotta do the work. You know, I've come from a generation where you had to mail your resume in the mail. You wanted to get a job. You had to go show up, go knock on the door, go keep showing up. I think and we're in the same generation. I mean, I'm 40. I'm 40. So, so are we. We are. Well, James that, is a little short. Um, they think that, you know, sending an email is showing up or sending a LinkedIn message is showing up. It's not. No. It's not. It's not. Well, no, no. It's, it's interesting in the sense that that's uh, what you describe is, is the plight of the trailblazer, you know? And so you're, you're blazing through these trails, ideally, you know, leaving a, a, a path behind that people like you can follow. Um, but I see oftentimes that in, in describing what you're saying, the, the, the lack of entitlement, almost the, the idea that the system's not there for me anyway, causes a lot of people to pull back in those scenarios. So how do you think that people of color can get over that and, and really take more ownership of, Hey, if I want something, I have to just go get it. And not just in you know certain industries where definitely you see that in certain industries where there's a high level of confidence that, that, Hey, I belong here, but in other industries where you, you're, you're blazing trails or you're following the path that not many have followed. Like, are there any tips you can, cause obviously we can see you're a go-getter, you know, you don't have to, we don't have to push you along. I mean, we're, we're a culture of go-getters. It's a matter of what we're going to get, right? We're the same people that are standing in line for Jordans. We're the same people that, so it's like, you know, we have the capacity and capability to do anything. And we've, we're very resilient as a culture. It's just a matter of what you're going to get, where you, where you direct your energy to. So my advice is like, you know, they have that saying, like, keep that same energy. The time you spend scrolling Instagram, keep that same energy <laughs> and scroll and network. I'm on LinkedIn. I don't even have Instagram on my phone right now or Twitter. Like I deleted social media except for LinkedIn. You know. Um, oh wow! Talk about that. Why? Well, because it's a distraction for one. I mean, and I just wanted a break. You know, I had a very, very extremely visible and engaging campaign where I raised money from 2,300 people and. I, you know, I need a break, but I, also, I, I understand. And I mean, you know, the constant engagement, constant messages, constant comments, constant um, DMS. And, you know, I do respond to them all, not in, not at the exact moment, but I do take time and I just needed to like step away from it and really just get time to focus in on delivering, you know, getting my product out and just taking some time for myself. But at the same time, um, you know, I wanted to spend some more time on LinkedIn. Um, I, I had like 2000 requests on LinkedIn. I just hadn't looked on there in a while. And that's where I get my most, you know, I've made my most beneficial relationships as far as business development, but at the same time, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook were very valuable for me when I was raising money. So it's, it's just a balance, but I think a lot of us don't really utilize LinkedIn the way that we can, the way we should. I've done million dollar deals on LinkedIn. Um, oh, wow. by reaching wow. out to people, yeah, reaching out to people in the inbox. It's not an instant thing, but it's also, um, again, I talk about this. I did another podcast recently. And I talk about it also it's on my Instagram about networking intentionally. You know, I get, I mean, I don't know. I get hundreds of messages on these platforms and people will say, let's chat or I love your hustle. Call me or they'll send me 10 paragraph message. And it's like, <laughs> you know, that's just not the way, you know, that, and I'm, I'm going to write something about this 
maybe in the next couple of weeks, excuse me, in the next couple of weeks about just how to network intentionally and what's been my keys to success of getting responses from very, you know, people that I wanted to reach out to. Like people always respond to all of my emails and people respond to all of my LinkedIn messages because I just say exactly what I want, keep it very short, excuse me, my alarm, but keep it very brief and um, say what I want. Like if, if you want to hit somebody up and say, let's chat about what? Or they'll say we should do business together. How? Send me a proposal. Mm -hmm. Be exact. I mean, and even just give me two lines of how we can do business together where it makes sense for for me to you know do business with you. Please let me know that. So I think that um, just learning how to engage and again that comes with a personal touch that like we've missed out on that. Like people Mm -hmm. because you can have access to fire off an email or fire off a LinkedIn message that that's all that you have to do and. You know, we have a long way to go in that area, but um, going back to the basics is, I think, what we need to do. Like what what we as a people need to do: be in the building, show up, right. be present, network in person, follow up on email, but network in person. Go to conferences, go to speaking engagements. Like be in the building. That's how I was able to grow my brand and my businesses by just showing up. Yeah. So I also heard you say in an interview, you, you, you talked about integration and, and, and integration actually being something that in some ways, I think, hurt the black community. Uh, and, you know, there's been some evidence of what you said, because, you know, there's actually there was we had more businesses then and there's been a, a decline in, in the amount of uh, businesses that were started by African-Americans. I'm not sure if that's where you were going, but w- what's your thoughts on that? I heard you say, uh, that might've been the breakfast yeah, club. My coming around integration was just, you know, of course I'm not going, obviously it was necessary. Um, and it know. wasn't meant to be a trap question. I think I wanted to get right, your thoughts but, about us. You know, being my thoughts the- were around just that as soon as we were able to, we were legally able to patronize other businesses, we abandon our own. Yep. We look outside of our communities and feel like the, the resources we need are outside of our communities or that the resources within our communities are not good enough or not adequate or, or the, the people, you know, the lawyers, the doctors, the dentists in our community are no longer good enough that we want to get, you know, another race or, or, or another lawyer that I don't want black people to be in my accountant. Why not? Why, yeah. why don't we trust each other anymore? My mother would love you by the way. She's an accountant and she has to go through this all the time. So thank you. <laughs> when we were all we had, it was all good. But now we don't trust each other anymore. So um, it's just that that was my point. And so instead of continuing to look outside of our communities for resources, for money, for anything, look within. And that's what I did. And obviously it was it was very successful. And um, I honestly don't have to go outside of the community for anything that I need. If I choose to, it's because I like the people I want to, but I, I don't have to. That's great. No, that's that's an excellent take. And, and, you know, now we always say here at Disruption Now that we like to to challenge conventional thinking. And so it was it definitely was a, when when we saw that it was like, oh, we got to get this out because we've also talked about this issue in terms of also role models leaving the community, you know, in addition to the resource, the trust. I'm an attorney. So, you know, I've dealt with the whole thing of, oh, you know, where people in my community may say, oh, well, you know, I want somebody who looks different because I doubt feel better about their competence at that point, but also just, you know, role models, people get out, you know, and so the people who have success are no longer around in certain communities and, and, you know, it's, it's a complicated issue basically, you know? And so, um, but it's always, it's something that people should think about and then try to see what we can learn from to try to improve. So I I think that's an excellent point that you make though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I live in the same hood I grew up in a little nicer house, but it's still in the neighborhood. Nice. So, well, you know, are you still are you still are you still in Ohio? Yeah, I'm based in Columbus. Oh, okay. I constantly, and I'm probably home about five to seven days a month. But this is where I'm at. So. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, good to have you in Ohio. We might have to do an event, some type of big tech uh, tech event. I'm gonna have you. You know, um, we're gonna have Rodney Williams on the show next week. You know, nice. from uh, from listeners. So yeah, he's a good friend of mine. He yeah. has definitely been a great friend and you know, give me some great advice. He actually was the one that encouraged me to move back to Ohio. I was living in LA and he was like, you know, there's some money in Ohio. You need to go back there. Mm. You know, he was working at PNG and then started a listener and was based in Cincinnati. And he was like, you know, you're from Ohio. There's a lot of opportunity there. And I wasn't even looking to come back to Ohio. I had been gone for 12 years. And then I came back two years ago. Wow. So how do you, so uh, yeah, that's great. 
How do you though, uh, you know, you, you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, but how do you go from that step where you, where you, where you just take the ultimate step where you leave your comfort position and you say, I am going to do this and I'm going to lay everything out. Uh, how do you how, instruct somebody about getting over their fear, their, 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 their paralyzing feeling of this is something I like that the wrong person asks these questions to, because I've never had fear. I don't even know how to advise you. Cause I'm like, no, okay, I'm like, Fear was fear. Get over it. Keep going. Move forward. You know, that's how I am. So I don't even know because I, I never had fear about anything and I don't have comfort because comfort is complacency. I don't yes. want to be comfortable. I, I'm never so you're comfortable be, being uncomfortable. Yeah. Like that's the, that's, that's where, like, that's where the magic happens. You know, they say the price of diamonds. Like I, I love having a challenge. Ah, Rob. So you can't ask Michael Jordan to, 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 to explain to you how he makes the, the fadeaway jump shot. Yeah. <laughs> like he, that he just, he, he does it. You know, okay. that's, how that's how he's going to teach people to do it. Either you do or you don't. Like people say to me, like, I'm trying there. I don't even believe in try. There's no try. There's I agree a, with that. Do. I agree with that. Try or do, you know? So I, I'm not a gentle, soft person to be like, oh, well, the first thing you do is believe in yourself. Like, <laughs> you already lost. You so know? let's talk. You gave a good Jordan analogy. So we're going to call you you're the Jordan of tech. All right. So Jordan has a quote. <laughs> Jordan has a quote that said, you know, I, 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 I failed over and over again. That's why I succeed. So, yeah. all right. So and he's actually been so he's 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 made the most game winning shots in history. He's also Missed the most shots. Oh in history. yeah, of course. There's lots of L's, but L's are lessons. Let's like, talk about those. What's your What's your biggest L, and what was the, how How did that set you up for a bigger opportunity? I mean, I take some type of an L on a weekly basis, but well, again, give, give me the one that sticks out in your brain. The one I that you think about. The one that about. sticks out in my brain, and that I'm continuously still dealing with, is you know my product being in development for three years and and running into many obstacles with manufacturing at scale. You know, so I've built three different versions of my machine and every time something didn't work or something wasn't right. Or when I finally did thought I had it right last year and had paying customers and it was time to deliver in November, the manufacturer, you know, basically held my product hostage and I had oh, wow. to legal, legal battle, which I'm still in today. Wow. So, but so, but I just was like, forget it. And I went and found a whole nother team to build it. So that simultaneously while I'm, um, you know, fighting for my, my IP is solid because I have contracts while I'm fighting for my actual physical files in my hardware. I had to go pay a whole nother team to do it all over again. Oh, that's horrible. So, I mean, I've spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in development for a product that literally will cost $10,000 to build. So, you know, when you look at it, like it costs, let's say $300,000, $400,000 to build one. And then after that, it's $10,000, but you got to have the $300,000, $400,000 or whatever. It ended up being by the time I'm done with this, it could be easily a half a million dollars in development just to build a product that you can build for $10,000. And so, um, you know, I, when I started the business in 2012, I, if you would have told me in 2019 this shit wouldn't be out, I would not believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, you lying. Would you still, would you still have done it though? Knowing yeah, what you yeah, know now, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. it's still something that drives you. But I mean, there's a lesson though in what you're saying though. Like to me, it stood out in the sense that like, as you said, L's are lessons, like things didn't go according to plan. So you try again, or you try something slightly different or you try to fix it. Like it's that relentlessness, you know, like you just have to keep going. And people were like, like, you know, people will say, what would you do? Or I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life. Or, you know, I'm like, what would you do if you didn't have any money? That's what you do. And <laughs> that's great advice. This is what I do <laughs> now. Like we ran out of money several times in the development process. And I still got up every day and worked on this business. I didn't, I never stopped. So it's like, I, because I love it. I actually love it. If I wouldn't have believed that it would take this long. But I still wouldn't have quit because I still don't believe like, you know, I, I never I wouldn't have believed it anyway. Even if right. they even they showed me a crystal ball, like I would have like, I'm going <laughs> to. Yep, no, I, I don't no, feel I it. Yep, it. Not, I love it. I love it. Love it. I love it. So there's like nothing anybody can tell me to discourage me or there's nothing anybody can say to make me believe that it's not going to work. I mean, they've already tried that many times. Right. 
um, I've been told there wasn't a market for what I'm doing. I first started, they told me, actually, there's not a market. There's no customer base. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then just two months ago, if that, the 2019 CB Insights retail t- trends report came out and voila, everything I'm doing is the trend of the future. Like I've wow. been told that right. six years ago. So, you know, sometimes you just got to wait for the market to be ready for which, for what you're building. And, um, you yeah. know, it's like I'm selling technology. I created a vending machine to, to sell software. Like, you know, Edison, even though he stole it, but Edison said I created the light bulb to sell electricity. You know what I mean? So it's like, it wasn't, it's was just selling something is it's innovation, a tool to do that. And so I knew eventually it, it would catch up. So, you know, it's just like, you got to just really have that burning desire within you that n- you, nothing, no one can tell you that it's not going to work. Like, even if it doesn't work in front of your face, like the shit will really not work in front of my face. <laughs> Make it work. It's going to work. Yeah. And then they'll turn around and work. And and they love that about me. My team love that about me as well. I don't, I never settle. I never take no for an answer. No means not right now. I mean, it just, it just means not right now. It could be in five minutes from now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So no, no. what's your why though? Like, so you got to have something, what's your, why are you passionate about this? Like what's your guiding kind of, you know, uh, Simon Sinek, you know, he's one of my, he's one of my other authors. That I've, uh, the power of why, yes. The power yeah, of why, right? You gotta watch that when they join my yeah. team, you gotta watch that. Oh, good. What's your why? What's the why? What's your why then? So, you know, it's, for everyone on business, the why is different. My overall life mission, the why is definitely, you know. That's the what I want. Building, building wealth, you know, for, for my family, for my community, um, showing demonstrating, you know, being the change, you know, people always yeah. talk about in the beginning of this, of this interview about, you know, um, they're not being black women getting money or being inventors and they maybe didn't see anyone that looked like them. So for me to demonstrate like an example of what a black woman can be successful, be an inventor, put a product out, raise money, you know, get a return, get an exit. So then the pat is called pattern matching in the DC community. So the pattern is make, being shifted. So it's really like be the change you want to see in the world. That's really my why. Everything okay. that I want to see different, I just embody that in my day-to-day life, whether it be through my vegetarian lifestyle or being, you know, a good person or like everything that I want to see, I just work very hard to be that across the board. So that's my why. But specifically for Popcom and the reason why I keep going is because I know it's the future. I've seen it in Asia. I know it is. And even though the U.S. is behind. Yeah, they are behind in that. I know, I know for a fact that it is the future. And now the report says it like for the first time ever, it's a published report that says this is the future of retail. And I've been doing this. So, so, you know, uh, I want to get back to talking about your L a little bit. I think it's important. People understand the process uh, of, of, of what people need of of going through L's to get to their, their next lesson. But, but I want to switch directions for a second. As you talk about your why being empowering, sounds like empowering people to see the pos- to see what's possible. Um, when you look at facial recognition technology, there's a, there, there's been a lot of data out there that shows that it's actually biased, which is interesting. Uh, so there's out there, yeah, of course it is, right? And so and now a lot of your a lot of your business is based upon uh, you know using facial recognition. Correct? Am I am I wrong on that? With definitely, with yep. And so. What role do you see in disrupting that industry to make sure it's actually inclusive, that it's not biased anymore as it's starting to be, uh, it's starting to, uh, to, to be, you know, not only used more, but it's going to be the future, as you said. I mean, it's, it's biased because it hasn't, ha- it doesn't have widespread adoption yet. So the, everybody using it and testing it are, are, are white males or white people. Like everyone, I feel like we need to quit taking stuff so personal. Yeah. And nobody built the tech and said, let's just build tech for white people. Like, no, right. it wasn't that. It's just, they're the ones using it. They're the ones around it. They're the yeah. ones that it's in their environment. So by me putting it in, in larger locations and venues where there's a wider, you know, variety of demographic profiles and people, and individuals, the algorithm gets smarter. That's what it right. is. Machine, it's called machine learning. It takes time. You have to see a lot to, to be able to filter through that data. So of course, by us 
having more black people, people of color using it, it can distinguish between who's who better. Right. Well, it's not yet ready to be used in law enforcement. Well, that's exactly what I was getting to. But it is being it is being used in law enforcement. That's the scary part. It's not ready to be. It's it's, it's wrong. That's wrong. It shouldn't be happening. But a lot of things are wrong. I'm not here to um, debate that. But my thing is, like, we luckily we're not, you know, we're not in charge of anybody's likelihood or well-being. It's just we are reporting sales data. So we'll just be able to tell people, is it male or female and the approximate age of the shopper? We're not even breaking it down to ethnicity, because honestly, when I was testing the ethnicity feature myself, three times it said I was Hispanic. Only like one or two times that I was black, depending on how my hair is. They don't even know, like a black person <laughs> with hair. Or I have straight hair and we think I'm Hispanic. Like, that's the thing. So it does not know yet, but it doesn't or, know. Or it doesn't even recognize you completely. I, sometimes I understand. So, well, but that's the, the it's, a, it's a good point, though, that because there are flaws in something, that doesn't mean you throw it out. You know, like it has to develop. I, well, mean, I agree. The initial samples, the, the coding, you know, is being done from a certain perspective, and then it's going to evolve. The testing is being yeah, done from yeah. that perspective. Exactly. And I'm not saying that's right. It's just facts. Like, it's just, it's just, well, it no, it's facts. But I think the, t- the part where I like to see in the question where I was going towards is how do we make sure? Because we know, you know, you can develop technologies to have the same biases. That, 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 go ahead. I'm listening. We use it. Yeah. We use yeah. it. And we put our face in it. Like people, people are, you know, I've done 23 Me, I've done Ancestry.com. And they're like, oh my gosh, why are you giving your DNA up? They're going to use your DNA. Well, how are they going to know what, what, how are they going to correctly judge the makeup if we don't have enough samples? Yep. How are they going to know? You have to give up the information for them to even be able to, to tell what's what. If you're like, don't scan my face, but no, you have everybody black wrong. Well, you got to scan your face so you can see what a black person looks like. And then, then, you know, so we have to use it. And if we don't want to use it, throw it out. You know, right. then boycott it. But it's not going nowhere. By no, not no, no it ain't, it is, you're not going to boycott it. It's coming. And it's the coming. reason why I really got into it personally is because, you know, again, I'm from a generation where it's like, only time you get your fingerprints taken is when you die and you're born and you, uh, you go to jail. And I'm like, don't be taking my fingerprints. But then, you know, and they're taking my face. But I'm like, well, this is where technology is going. I might as well either be a consumer or be, you know, be a creator of this. So I said, I'm going to just be a part of, once again, be a part of the change and get involved in it to try to shift it in the way that it more aligns where these bias can eventually be, you know, eliminated as much as possible. If they're going to use it, then if you don't want to be misidentified by the police, give them your actual face. That's it. Give it to them because or you gonna be mistaken for somebody else? I don't. I hate to say it like that. Like, but th- th- like, this is the answer. Mm-hmm. Now, Rob, you know what that sounds like? What's that sound? Uh, like? That sounds like Andrew Gillum. Andrew, what did, what did Andrew tell us? He said, "If you're not at the table, you're gonna be on the menu." Yep, pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. That sounds yep. like. Yeah. That's how I feel about it. You know, and and until we are continuing to create our own systems, and um, but right now, Amazon is the you know they're they're the they're the strongest one. So it's yeah. like, yeah, take a picture of me and know what Don Dixon looks like so you don't mistake me for somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody mistake me either, but I don't know. You never know. Uh, so, you know, speaking about going outside the lines and doing things that are new. So cryptocurrency is not really new, but still most people, I would argue, don't know what cryptocurrency is. Still probably think it's some weird thing still some people think it's a fraud some people I think it's not uh, no no i'm sure you 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 don't think so but i think a lot of people still have that still have that believe me when i when sitting out with my parents when i try to talk to them about it they're like <laughs> you're like what what like no nah, i don't get it where's the money where's the bank who's holding it could you answer that question for for folks so they can understand what cryptocurrency is and, and what the, what the mean, potential it's, is it's for a it? digital currency it's like saying what's a debit card like you know it's all fiat invisible money anyway there's no exchange it's the same thing when you go get a mortgage no no money is exchanged from the banks so it's like cryptocurrency is just, it's just a digital currency you know and and it's it's secure in the ledger and and it's it's on the blockchain so i don't you know i'm a cryptocurrency investor but i don't have a cryptocurrency you know, my token was a security token, which essentially is a tokenized security. So traditionally, when you invest in a stock, this is traditional, traditional, you get a stock certificate, piece of paper, 
And that's the stock certificate. If you lose that, there's no record that you have a stock. Now, um, you know, it's a digital version of a stock certificate. It's just a digital representation of a share. And that's what a token is. That's what a a security token is. And it's on the blockchain. So the blockchain is a ledger. Cryptocurrency is a digital currency that is developed on the blockchain, which is a ledger. So it has an accurate record of how many, you know, let's say if the dollar bills were crypto. They print a certain amount of dollar bills every year. You can throw them away, tear it up, burn it, it's gone. But you can't do that with a token because it's there, it's it's stored on a digital ledger and it's the transfer. There's no physical embodiment. If I give it to you, it's it's locked in. If you give it to him, it's locked in. And it it can't be destroyed. It can't be changed, manipulated. It's just just on a digital ledger. It's more secure, a more secure way of tracking things. Um, You know, and then it's also... um, the way it's easier to transfer it from person to person without needing a bank, a third party to do the facilitation of that transfer or transferring it overseas. And, you know, they talk about people that are unbanked. It's a solution to getting money, you know, from the using Western Union or MoneyGram. But it's really just a digital representation of what we usually would have a piece of paper for or a coin or, you know, but it's, it's all fiat, you know, it's, it's all. But you can take it right now. Lever- and leverage the money into real money. Like you can do that right, not real money, say it like well, it's that. Value. Value, it's value, value. Yeah, you can value. So it's, it's an value. exchange value. The same it's way that you go to like Europe and you get exactly. a euro, it's an exchange value. You get a euro. Or you can say, I'll give you this and this ball is worth a hundred dollars. That's what it is. If somebody's willing to pay a hundred for it. Somebody's <laughs> willing to pay it. You know, the demand for these phones, these, these phones, thousand dollars but i bought this google phone which is way better than that iphone and it's four hundred dollars because somebody said so yep. mm-hmm. well i thought that the the ledger the ledger piece was an important piece because we're we inherently are okay with and and for whatever reason don't question the bank ledger you know the banks run these ledgers with debit cards and bank accounts and they're not sending anything tangible back and forth they're sending signals and that's their ledger whereas the blockchain is just not a bank centered ledger as a as people of color we should have learned a long time ago about ledgers and banks with the freeman's bank will have money yeah that's gone gone yeah no, but I agree. why are we so hesitant to deal with crypto when it's secure and you can't take it unless you're hacked, which is a whole nother story. <laughs> yeah. Anything can be hacked. Well, banks can be hacked. Yeah. Banks, banks your hacked. account can be Bank hacked. It's robbed. I get compromised every week. Somebody database and got my email, you know, but I, I guess that's the most important question to ask. Like, so what is the, this is still kind of an unregulated market. And what happens if, like, if you lose your money in the bank, as long as the United States doesn't implode, which who knows? FDIC. FDIC only secures $250,000. True, per per bank. You get a million stolen, you got two fifty dollars back. Yep. That ain't no fair exchange. (laughs) (laughs) That ain't. But you wouldn't get any of it back right now, technically, with crypto, right? I mean, I guess that's... No, you wouldn't get any back. But you also have full control over it, and it's your job to protect it. And nobody else can go in and take it from you the way the bank can. Um, or charge you fees for it. I and mean, of course, like, of course, it's a money system. So like platforms like Coinbase and things, they make their money by charging transfer fees to convert your money from, you know, the same way stock exchange and stock brokers, they have, they have that system in place. But, you know, every single thing you do is a risk. Period. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What getting do you think is, no, getting, exactly. <laughs> you know, the only, the only thing I would add to that is so, I agree with how you characterize uh, cryptocurrency and I've tried to explain it to people and they still give me the blank look. Um, but I think the only risk is what happens with there's a couple of bad actors that make it, and this kind of happened for a period that make it look bad. And then all of a sudden you got regulators and you got the, you got the threat of the banks. Cause this is the threat I see for them. They see somebody taking their, their market and they want to control it. And so they're going to look for anything they can to find a couple of bad actors and to, regulators into it you know there's bad actors in everything absolutely the bernie madoffs there's i mean there's bad actors in every single thing but what's the risk though i say this let me ask the question real quick what's the risk of saying like if somebody somebody's one or two bad actors and then then this industry tries to force that to bring in crypto to try to bring down your value do you think that's there's there's no chance of that happening or if you 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 see what i'm saying that's that's the only thing i can see i don't think that people People doing embezzlements and fraud have made the U.S. dollar any more valid. And it's the same thing for me with crypto. It's not going anywhere. Like Bitcoin is not going anywhere. 
Yep. Now you can go up and down, but it's been around for 10 plus years. It's not, people are too deep. It's not going anywhere. Um, again, I don't have a cryptocurrency. I have a security token that is just right. based on the value of my company and it's a digital share. And it's not affected at all by any of this. Well, do you have any concern about, and I think, you know, just the direction Rob was going, uh, as these scandals hit, like cryptocurrency right now, the you know, like establishment, let's say, is not comfortable with it because they don't control it. Like they control Correct. so many other things, like the banks control the money system. The government has, if, if the government wants your money confiscated, it can be confiscated. Where these cryptos, you can't do that. Or do you have any concern that at some point, there will be a banking or, you know, a commercial entity or a government entity that is trying to take it over. Like, and I don't even know how they would really do that with the anonymous. Not take it over. It. No, yeah. not take it over, but tax it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. started taxing it. They, they monitor your movements of the money from um, your crypto wallet to your bank account. And so it's very hard. It's called KYC, know your customer and I money laundering AML yeah. and they run KYC and AML on everything that you do now. Okay. And oh. so, you know, the days of using cryptocurrency and Bitcoin to like do transactions with drugs and large sums of money. And that's over the regulators already came. The regulators came last year. That's why I changed my offering from a, um, a ICO to a STO. So initial coin offering, which was essentially a public sale to a secure token offering under SEC regulations. And that's what I did last year. So it is regulated now. It's very regulated and banks are already involved. You know, they have ripple, which is, um, you know, XRP is definitely a, a not decentralized and it is a government-backed coin. And Chase has a token. Now Facebook has a token. So wow. it, it's not going anywhere. So, so like, talk to people about what this, because it seems like it's another opportunity to uh, raise capital from people that you know versus having to go the traditional route, which has often been limited to us. Talk to people about how you did it, because I, I think there's a law that was passed during the Obama administration that made this easier to do. Yeah. Cryptocurrency, this law. I mean, this is a law called the Jobs Act. Jumpstart our business startups started in 2012, um, signing the legislation by Obama. Took about five years for it to even get into motion and the regulations around how do you do it um, and the filings that are required through the SEC. There's several different categories you can raise. I did a regular reg CF, which is a million seventy thousand every 12 months you can raise from the general public accredited and non-accredited investors um, do a public solicitation. So Which, normally, it's credited for folks, you know, you got to have a lot of money. That's basically rich. And then I mean, the exact is, accredited is $200,000 a year as an individual, 300,000 as a married couple. And then non-accredited is everybody else. Or yeah. you have a million dollars net worth um, or income. So it goes by a million net worth or $200,000 a month income. Excuse me. And, and that affects the, the level of disclosure and, and things like that in terms of what has to be turned over, correct? Yeah, yeah. Accredited, um, you know, it actually, it's a lot easier to raise money from accredited investors. The assumption that they're sophisticated and they're wealthy and they understand. But if they're not accredited, it's an assumption that they're, you know, you have to just do a lot more reporting. And for me, so even though I'm a privately held company, you still have to do that with this stuff too. Is that still the Jobs Act didn't change that? It's still required to do it for un for unaccredited investors. Well, for the regs, so for the Reg CF, it's a very extensive paperwork required, very similar to any other due diligence for. Oh wow! Money. It's not any different. It's not. It wasn't. You know, I, like I said, I raised a, a million dollars from VC and angels. It was probably easier. It was easier. All I had to do was just do, do an offering memorandum and do a. Um, subscription agreement and have them sign it and then just take the wire and then they self-verify. But when I had to do a filing with the SEC, it's a SEC filing. It's very extensive. And then I had to have a, you know, an agent and I had to have escrow agent and I had to have, you know, now working with broker dealers. And so it's like, it's SEC and you're dealing with the transfer, they basically private equity, private, private security trading. So, um, you know, it, with a good lawyer, like it sounds hard and then it's not easy, but nothing's easy. What is, no, what's nothing in life, nothing in life is easy, but, but, but you, but you've done it. Um, yeah. and you bring people, you bring, bring professionals aboard, you Most know, you bring professionals aboard to, yeah. to help you do that. I mean, that there are people who do that, who, you know, like I'm a patent attorney, like when people, they don't need to understand all that stuff. When, when it's time to get a patent, they come and talk to me or right. a securities exactly. attorney, you know, or anything like that. And so well, I have a securities attorney. Exactly. Yeah. I have a securities attorney. 
you know, I work with a, a, a platform that handles types of offerings and they knew what they were doing, start engine and help me go through the process. Um, but I also have my stuff in order. I, ever since we started, even when we weren't making any money, even when we were losing money every month, I still did my monthly P&Ls, balance sheets and cash flow statements. I still was filing taxes on losses. I, you know, so when it was time to raise money, you know, I didn't even have to even get, I only had to do a one year audit because my financials were so in order. And then I had my projections and, you know, I had all of my intellectual property assignment agreements, all my employment agreements. So like having your business in very organized yeah. order, um, it makes it easier because then if you don't you scramble and try to get all these documents together, but <laughs> I always have my stuff together. Like I'm really ready for due diligence at any time. Like we're very organized. No, that saves you a lot of money uh, that because the people that come in and have to, to, yes. to set it all up, and they're I like, oh, this stuff is all set. I wanted to do my filing. They sent me a checklist. I had all of it right away. Oh, wow. you, want, you want my corporation? You want my board resolutions? You want my business licenses? You want my EIN? You want my, you know, everything is there. Employment agreements for everybody, you know, whatever, all of my P&Ls, historical financials, taxes, have that on deck at all times and then Not, yeah that's, that's I audited myself i just went like hey just audit let's just pay for audit just in case anybody want to come back and say something <laughs> i got all this money just audit me yeah. No, that's really smart. You know, someone yeah. told me you got to be, to be successful, you need to be productively paranoid. Yeah. It's just, just, <laughs> right. Which seems like a contradiction, but the truth is you got to have a little bit of paranoia. And, uh, I want to talk about that. I mean, that. I would say preparation. Like I'm not paranoid about nothing. I'm ready. Whatever you got. Hey, let's go. Ready. Well, if you, if you know what they say, you know, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. So, you know, it's, it's, now I have a question for you. I know it comes up with um, a lot of entrepreneurs and people who are trying to, to step out of like a corporate existence or anything like that. How do you vet the people that you hire to help you to like the professionals and everything like that? How do you hire the right people? Cause they're, you know, the, the, the professional help you get in any scenario is going to depend heavily on the skill of the people that you talk, that you bring on that their expertise, their knowledge and so forth. So how yeah, do you make sure you hire good people? We ran across some, scammies some scammers and some misrepresentations um but i think I, I, like, and i figured that's part of your l excuse me this is a back on him because i thought that was connected to the l and the main l i thought that, i thought it was the and i wanted to, I wanted to talk about that with people that say they can do something they can't do it I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that is the number one l it's never been me like it's been me making maybe not having the discernment that i've now have but now it's gone for referrals like, mm, okay. I don't even work with you if nobody can vouch for you, which goes back to the very first thing I said earlier. Yep, yep. Why people don't give people money they don't know. They yep. want you to, they want somebody to vouch for you. Like, yep. That's it. That's It's understandable. It's human nature. You know, it's not, it's not discrimination to want somebody to be like, yeah, this person is a decent person. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. No, I, I completely. So, so it sounds like as, as charging as you are, as passionate as you are, you also have a, empathy, soft side, nothing wrong with that. And it seems yeah, like for, 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 for people and some folks take advantage of it. It sounds like one of your business partners or folks or somebody took advantage of that. Uh, how do you keep yourself, I think, from moving forward and not being jaded? Because some people would take that and just say, screw everybody. Everybody's out to get me. And I just need you to just stay what? focused. I really think that people overestimate themselves. I don't think anybody who ever burned me was like, I'm about to go burn her. They tried really hard. But they just, they just, they did not know what they were doing or they thought they can just learn on the fly. You overestimate your ability or misrepresent, you know, misrepresenting like your talent, your skill set. So I never, like, again, I don't take stuff personal. So it's like everybody's doing things for their own gain. And, and even the people like they meant well, because I'm not, when I sat down with them in the beginning, I could look in their eyes and I could tell they really believed they was going to pull it off. But then when they realized they couldn't do it, they, that's where it came in, where they wouldn't be honest to be like, you know what? I thought I could do this. I really did, but I can't. They're not going to say that. They'll be, they'll just try to do it anyway and then mess it up. And then instead of admitting the phone, they get missing. That's when the, that's when the scammy stuff happens. Cause they like they're scared they're in fear to admit that they failed or that they can't, or they don't have the money to pay you back when they already didn't mess the money up. But Honestly, like I can't name a single person that just like came out the gate trying to scam me. It was like, oh, I can do this. Then it was like, oh shit, no, I can't. But now I got the money and I done messed the money up and I can't get back. So now I gotta you just rob Peter to pay Paul and it's like a 
avalanche, you know? Well, so, yep. Um, well, I mean, I th- sometimes people don't realize it though. And I, I think something that I look at for, for folks is, uh, you know, what's their self-awareness? What's their judgment? Most people and, are not self-aware. No, most They're people not. aren't. And I hope I'm self-aware. I'll say that because I'm sure I have plenty of blind spots, but I try my best to really analyze myself for all the flaws that I have. And I try to see the people I have, not if they're perfect, but, you know, if they have a motivation outside themselves, one thing, that's the first thing I look at. Then two, do I think they have some type of self-awareness? And, you know, I've, I've so I used to chair a university and I had to interview some, a lot of people for these positions. And I would always ask questions to discern, do they, do they have any sense of their flaws? And, yeah. and then if, you, if, if you ever get some folks to say like they couldn't answer questions that required them to look inward, <laughs> <laughs> that they've never made a mistake. And they figure out a way to gloss it over. I'm like, we're not hiring that person. And every, everyone else, like I, I've had to, I got someone not hired, very proud of this. Uh, and we found out a lot of stuff about this person later, but he looked great on, everything was great on paper. And then when you asked a few follow-up questions, then you asked, like you said, you looked at those references and you asked people real questions. Like I don't let people give me BS like, oh, they give them a seven evaluation. I said, no, you get to give me a five or you give me a nine. Which one is it? Yeah. <laughs> and then tell me why. And then people, and then stuff starts coming out about people. You'd be surprised. People always say what they are. So I've had to say, I'll just tell you, um, I can tell it was, it probably hurt, hurt. It's hurt me before. Let me just say people have hurt me before that I've been close to that I was partners with and they did some things that, you know, lost money, lost, lost things from it. Yeah. You know, I didn't become jaded, but I did learn about what I saw. Cause sometimes, sometimes I saw things in people that I wanted to see. So I also yeah. engaged my self-awareness like, Objection. Oh, we'll see potential and not see what's <laughs> in front of us today. Exactly. And that's just important to do in general in life is see what's in front of you today. Yeah, mm. it is. And so think about that as we, as we, as we kind of close, I want to just kind of get to some rapid questions I like to ask. Um, so you have a, you have a podcast bars, right? I do. You, yeah. You, you like to rap, huh? You could rap. You know, I'm not a rapper, but I, I you, know you I like rap, know. though. What's your a connoisseur? Your, I'm definitely a connoisseur. Okay. You know, I definitely know my bars, but I, I'm not a rapper. I don't have okay. the cadence. Uh, I don't have the rap voice. Neither do I, though. Who you like, though? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Who, 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 give me a couple of your favorite rappers and why. Um, you know, it's I'll just you know, Tupac always. I, oh, I, yeah. I, I love his realness. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, you know, he inspires me, even this, his life story. You know, I wish it could have went longer because I would have loved to see him come out of that death row era and like emerge mm-hmm. as a better person. I agree. So, um, but, you know, what gets, gets me hyped up, like I always love listen to, listening to Rick Ross. Like I just love, I just, I love Rick Ross. I lived in Miami for years, six years. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. I, I, I didn't live there, but I partied there a lot. I, I know you worked at Liv. We probably, we probably saw um, each other once or twice, but we'll keep that. Between I'm, us. I'm, I'm a Meek Mill fan. You All know. Right. Okay. I love Migos. That's like my just, you know. Okay. All right, Migos. Um, you know, and I listen to the new stuff. I like, I like Lil Baby. Um, Lil Baby and Gunna. They got some hits. Uh, I um, I love Tribe Called Quest. I mean, I just, you know, I listen to a lot. Like, yeah, very. uh, I listen to everything a lot. It sounds like you're very well rounded. Uh, Yeah, it does. Yeah. A lot. I listen to a lot. You know, it's hard for me to say a favor because it's like different music makes me feel a different way. Like I, yeah. I was in my little emo mode the other day. I'm listening to Drake because he's super emo. You know, so it's just like it just depends. I love all the new female rappers these days. Like just like the 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 resurgence of the the female MC. Remember, like yep. in the '90s, there was MC so Light. many rappers. Nobody yep. was like beefing. It was like so many, like Queen Latifah, Moni Love, and MC Light, and yep. Yo Yo, and I mean, there's just so many. And then it became like, okay, you only can have one at a time. So now, <laughs> there's so many in these younger girls um, between, you know, of course, Cardi B and Nikki and there's Megan Thee Stallion and there's Sweetie and there's Rhapsody. And I mean, there's just so many um, female hip hop artists right now. I have a whole playlist, just all female rappers, mm-hmm. which I love to see just that, that in general. I mean, I'm not saying the content is, yeah. <laughs> hey, you talking to hip hop fans? You 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 don't have to judge, but we like hip hop. So you got the city girls down here in Miami. You know? I mean, yeah, He's in Miami, girl, by the way. You know, right you know, now. Free JT, you know, when she get out. Um, but um, yeah, I just, I just, I'm always been a big fan of hip hop in general. So bars is a podcast that I, I believe is a hip hop bar to describe any situation in life. And you know, a lot of times these poets, these people. 
entrepreneurs, you know, it's not these. A lot of these guys are drug dealers, which is an entrepreneur that they're running full enterprises and the way that they the way they phrase things I can relate to because it translates into the things that I deal with in business. Everything we talked about today is in the drug game. You know what I mean? Talking about your business partners not doing right and people taking your money and things going well. I think so. It's like I just I, I believe that a lot of times the messages that we need to hear as a culture are in our music, but we don't really translate it. Yeah. So I'll translate the lyrics and the hip hop to like business language. Well, it's exploiting an opportunity, you know, like that at its core, the drug game is exploiting the opportunity. Drugs would, would not be valuable if it wasn't for the legal uh, framework that was in like, absolutely. cocaine should not be worth more than gold by weight, but it is, you know, it because is. of the way the laws are set up. So, yep. you know, it's, so it's in business, it's the same thing. You got to find opportunities and exploit them. You know, so I, I, I co-sign completely on the, the lessons that you'll hear there. You have to translate them. You know, you have to translate them to whatever it is that your hustle is. But, you know, it's the same lessons, the same stuff, because that's business. That, that's, that's what it is. That, that's exactly business. Yeah. That's exactly. And, and you look at those, uh, those you know, <clears throat> I saw straight out of Compton. And what, 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 it, what initially struck me is that all of that, all those folks, all those geniuses you got, you know, the Dr. Dre's, the Ice Cubes, all those folks. But for had Easy E been caught that one time when his house was being raided, none of that probably would have happened because they they didn't get their opportunity. People didn't get a chance to see their genius because they they didn't the opportunity wasn't there. Yeah. And what it says to me is if we are more intentional about our community, there's you know Ice Cube is there, we have more Ice Cubes in the world. We have more Dr. Dre's. We have more Don Dixons. I was just talking about not to get off topic, but briefly about even the hip hop stars of my generation. They have they have leveled up so much. I mean, look at Eve and look at Jay and look yep. at Ice, Ice Cube, Rihanna, I mean, all of them. Just the hip hop, like look at where they've turned into moguls, Diddy's. Like these were the hip hop. I remember when you know Dolores Tucker saying rap is bad, and now like, all these same guys are, you know, they're they're millionaires and billionaires, and they're actors, and they're they're doing such big things. So it's just like I love how it shows you know, where you can grow to and where a lot of these old, the older guys, not even older, but you know, the guys from the nineties, um, like our age, we're not old. We're just seasoned. (laughs) I can't even, I, I I love getting older. You know, it's, it's so much wisdom that comes along with it. So. And it beats the alternative. It always beats the alternative. That's that's, that's, I'm here for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Two more questions. Um, if you had a committee, you have a committee together living or dead of three people, who would they, they get to advise you about everything, life, business? Who are those three people and why? Um, I definitely would. Uh, dang, that's a good one, too. That's, I, I, thought, you know, <laughs> I should say what comes to mind. You should say your first thought, right? Exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. We, we want you to be. Yeah, it's just you, me, so and thousands thought, of people. First thought, my first thought, Mansa Musa. Um, okay. Oh, nice. Nice. We're King of Mali. They were able to build an empire and I really want to figure out and learn how to like, um, be my, bring my people together in that way and reclaim the wealth that has, was ours as indigenous people. Um, just as recently as, you know, less than a thousand years ago. Um, then I think of, um, the next person was in my head, the Buddha, just to, for me, like always in my personal spiritual journey and just, um, you know, ascending and be, being more aligned, just, um, it's just somebody that I would love to meet and, and have as my advisor. And then, um, would definitely love to have Steve jobs. You know, um, what I strive to build is kind of like the Apple of automated retail. Um, just the way that they, they've innovated and Apple changed the way that we do everything today. So would have just love to get inside of his head a little bit. Um, so yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. That's great. That's a great you were answer. Like you were the quickest on your feet of most you were. people that, that you know that, that do that's that question. Okay, but I was like, I was like, Mansa Musa. I'm like, no, no. We, we want you no, to say yeah, dope. yeah, that yeah. Was, yeah that exactly. No, that's good. That's, that's a good. great answer. Oh, hey, that's great. Final one. You have a billboard, Google ad. I guess let's just be more 21st century. You have a you have a Google ad or a digital ad that describes you. It's a saying, it's a theme, whatever. What does it say and why does it say that? My favorite quote of all time, it was it would say, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. And that's by Gandhi. And it definitely has been just a great way to summarize my entire 
journey as an entrepreneur and just in general, you know, definitely as a black woman and just um, in this life conditions, you get ignored a lot, overlooked. And then, you know, they laugh at you because they think what you're doing is silly. You and I was talking about, oh, you didn't go to school for this or you didn't come from this kind of family. How are you going to do this? How are you going to shift the culture? And then they fight you because they're like, oh, shit, she really doing it. Oh, my God. We gotta stop. <laughs> Wait a minute. She doing it. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm winning now. And so that's the story of my life. So. So we're, we're look, we're, we are we are proud of you here on Disruption Now. We'd love to have you back. Um, figure out ways we can partner because, you know, I, I know you are already doing big things. I see bigger things happening. Thanks. And I'm just I just want to tell you that I'm proud of you. And um, I look forward to see what you do next. Thank you. Things coming. Good things on the way. So I'll definitely keep going. I believe it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. So you heard what she said. Keep moving forward. Keep fighting. Don't don't stay where you are. Don't accept where you are. Stay woke if you want to stay free. I'm Rob Richardson. I'm James Keys. And we'll see you next time.